Strachan and Bell together. There's Cooper breaking through. A chance now. This will be the fourth goal for Aberdeen. Cooper puts it in with his when things are going wrong against you you don't get the breaks of the ball Cooper in with Stewart he didn't really know where the ball was but he got the break and as you say it's a schoolboy's dream being able to take your time knowing that really all you got to do is crack it into the back of the net Hello and welcome to the first episode of the new season for the Here We Go podcast. It's not going to be an upbeat one, I don't think, but we're going to try and make it as as, as entertaining as we possibly can. Uh, joining me this week, as always, is Richard Hay. Uh, how are you doing in the since the the forty hours since we last spoke, Richard? Um, I'm not going to suggest it's going to be more considered than it was straight after the match on, on Saturday. I think we're all still a little bit frustrated and a little bit angry. Yeah, maybe, maybe we can we can add a few more things to what we what we said on Saturday night. And joining us this week, our guest is uh, Andrew Southwick. Now, Andrew, it's much more fun and cathartic and entertaining for you to come on and talk about a game like Saturday than it would be to say against a, I know, a straightforward 1-0 home win against Hamilton, isn't it? Well, I just realised that every time, this is the third time I've been on the podcast now, and every time I'm on, we've never won. It's always after like <laughs> a, a Bowen 0-0 or a defeat to Rangers, so uh, I, <laughs> maybe a bad luck charm. Okay, I've got to say, Andrew, I, we asked Andrew on after the result was known. It's not like, you know, it, it's invite Andrew on, then we lose. It's we, uh, Maybe I'm associating Andrew with misery for some reason. I don't know, Andrew, if that is the case, <laughs> but, but I apologise. Anyway, we'll make sure that we'll have you on next time after a win. And the go-to guy if you want a good moan. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, let's let's get right on to that then. I think Richard will start off with with the kind of the hot topic that came out of Saturday. The one that was most debated was Bruce Anderson. Um, some would suggest I'm in that camp that he would say that he was hung out to dry. There is another school of thought that says he's let himself down, and we should rightly expect more from him. Uh, where do you stand on that one? Listen, as ever, I think the truth is somewhere in between. I mean, I know you used the phrase hang out to dry on social media at the weekend. And it did good numbers, Martin, didn't it? Because it's exactly the sort of player-sparing, manager-blaming stuff that does good numbers. And we're certainly not adverse to that on our social media sites. (laughs) But it definitely doesn't tell the whole story. Playing up front on your own in a game where your side are likely to have limited possession and, as it turned out, were starved of possession is a thankless task. It would have been thankless for Sam Cosgrove, thankless for Adam Rooney, thankless for Joey Harper, thankless for any striker you want to name. And it was definitely that way for Bruce on Saturday. So to some extent, his failure to influence the match isn't his fault. However, what I didn't see from him was something that really should be an absolute given. I didn't see the energy from him in getting up and closing down the centre-halves in tandem with Craig Brighton. I didn't see him hustle and harry their back four at all during the game. And you know, if there's one thing we know that Derek McKenna's expects from his players, it is that work rate. I think we also need to consider what his options were for the game on Saturday. 
You had Bruce, he's played in the preseason games, he's done well, scored some goals, so he's up, he's buzzing. You think he's ready for it, but you know he's in for a tough shift on Saturday. Surely hanging him up to dry would have meant benching him in favour of putting Ryan Edmondson on from the start. What Bruce got was over an hour to try and influence proceedings. So whilst it certainly wasn't his fault that he got zero service in a striking sense, there are definitely ways in which you can influence the game as a striker, even if you're not scoring. And I'm not sure he did enough of that. I, I guess the question kind of is, like, does McInnes really know how to get the best out of Anderson? Because it seems to be that McInnes is going to deploy the same tactics no matter who the personnel are. Because if you look at the three home games against Rangers and Celtic last season, and I know I'm lumping Celtic in here, and they're a different team, but the setup is always diff- was always the same against both sides. Now, Cosgrove started two of them, Main started a 3-1 defeat to Celtic. And the whole setup is similar to how we set up on Saturday. You know, we conceded 10 goals in those three games, seven of them in the first half, were basically because, you know, we set off the opposition and let them play. You know, even the goals we got, they didn't actually come from the strikers. Garlic has got one of them. The other two have come from defenders. In both games, you know, the idea of lumping long balls up the Cosgrove and Main didn't really achieve anything. And on Saturday, he set up exactly the same, you know, the midfield's too often making passes. They didn't really get the team going anywhere. The wide players ran out of trouble. And the lone striker was isolated. And I don't think you can really make a case that, you know, yeah, Anderson wasn't great, but even if he had a fit Cosgrove, or even a fit Curtis Main, I don't think it would have made uh, much of a difference. Yeah, that's entirely possible. I mean, the positive, the positive of the play behind them when we had the ball was, it was terrible. It was terrible. You talk about set-up, what he prefers to do is not leave, is make sure he's got those three bodies in the centre of the park. He has uh, switched between the 4-2-3-1 and quite often goes with a three. If he wants to go with two up top, you'll often see him sacrifice a guy from the, the back line as opposed to the midfield or go to a 3-5-2. He, he thinks it's important not to lose that battle in the centre of the half, uh, in the centre of the park rather. We were losing that battle in the centre of the park on Saturday and losing it badly. I don't think that Jack or Camera had a, had a huge influence on the game, but the only influence that Ferguson and Ojo had on the game, conversely, was when they were gifting the, the coughing the ball up far too easily. I think there was definitely cause to, to change it up earlier and it was changed up and certainly consider bringing on a partner for Bruce Anderson. About whether to get the best out of Bruce Anderson, I think what you've, uh, throughout the time of McInnes' time here, He's always got his main striker in the squad scoring goals. The team have been set up pretty much to get that main striker scoring. It was set up that way with Adam Rooney. It's been set up that way with Sam Cosgrove. Now, we know that Cosgrove, we knew that Cosgrove was going to be missing for a week. I'm a bit concerned that we still went ahead with this ploy, with this plan to not alter the tactics and know you were starting with Bruce for the whole week. I don't know whether they may be expected to get uh, Ryan Edmondson in the door earlier in the week. I don't know, maybe that was in their thinking. You could you could definitely argue that you could have adopted a different attacking formation to get more out of Bruce Anderson, but the question is, what are you then sacrificing in other parts of the pitch? Now, obviously, as it turned out, we got dominated in other parts of the pitch anyway, but when you're setting up beforehand, we want to know that that's how it would play out. You look at the other team, no, and you can't... OK, I'm not comparing Bruce Anderson to Morelos, but um, he was obviously playing a lot deeper and allowing his midfielders to get problem, get forward sorry, and cause problems. The problem we had is our midfielders weren't get, weren't really supporting him, weren't getting forward. 
even if Anderson was, was coming deep, there was nothing happening there. I mean, I wouldn't even bring at this point Ojo and Ferguson into the conversation. I, I think we spoke on Saturday straight after the game about the fact that you know on paper it was two similar looking setups, but it played out so so differently on the park, and particularly the way in which our front four just simply didn't work as a unit. The opposition's front four was much more effective at a putting pressure on our back line and obviously supporting their main striker. Essentially, Johnny Hayes and uh, Matty Kennedy spent a lot of their time on the halfway line, on the touchline, hoping to receive a ball that never came so they could get isolated against the opposition fullbacks. So that was the game plan to try and stretch it, to try and get Kennedy and Hayes one-on-one running against their fullbacks. Whereas, of course, the opposition's game plan was to have Aribo and Kent come inside off the wing and support Morelos more. So the onus is then then on Bryson, but it never looked cohesive. It never worked. And that, again, to me, is a real concern that the manager hasn't been able to get this cohesion with this group of players, which is basically unchanged from the start of last season. This was meant to be a good thing, that we were not going to have the major upheaval in the summer. And you know, Obviously, as things have panned out, there's been a degree of upheaval, but for entirely different reasons. Thing. And surely one of the things that you should gain from this is that there should be that level of cohesion within the team. Now, I know we were missing our first-choice striker, arguably missing our second-choice striker as well. But the actual basic tenets of that cohesion should should have been there, and they just weren't, certainly not in an attacking sense. I thought, generally speaking, we actually did okay from a defensive point of view. Obviously, we were terrible on the ball, but from a defensive point of view, we had a decent shape apart from critically that one goal. And that's just the issue, isn't it? You cannot switch off against decent quality teams at all. And we switched off for that one moment, let them score, and we never looked like getting back into the game after that. Yeah, the big problem for me is the lack of identity in the Aberdeen midfield. If you look back to like, I don't know, the 2016-2017 season when a lot of people thought Aberdeen probably the best under McInnes. Now you had, you know, Shinny was this energetic player. You had Jack, who was sit deep and take the sting out of games. You know, you had McLean, who was like the curator, linked the midfield and attack. You can go back to McInnes' first season. You know, you had Willow Flood who offered that energy. Jack again sat deep. You had Paul, who was number ten. But on Saturday, I didn't, I don't know who, what everyone's role was. You know, Bryson played more advanced than Ferguson and Ojo. But like, who was the curator? Who was the guy making challenges? Who was bringing the energy? It, it just looked like. It looked like three midfielders who were given a free role. And it didn't change when Campbell came on, Dean Campbell came on for Bryson either. Like, you know, at one point, he just passed it along the centre circle and Campbell broke from midfield and tried and close down Kamara, which, you know, didn't work. But you could see the intention because Kamara had his back to goal and if Campbell manages to steal the ball or cut out the pass, suddenly it's a counter-attack. You know, we're crying out for players in these games, you know, not to set off the opposition. So you can't really criticise Campbell for trying that. But when he did it, you know, Ojo needed to come in and take up the space Campbell's vacated. And instead, he trots along, leaves Hadji thinking, well, it's not my job to pick him up. So I don't know if there's a man-marking role going on or whatever, but he just leaves him. And he heads towards Tavernier, who's like in a right-back position. So basically, Rangers' defence have just managed to draw out Aberdeen's midfield on the halfway line. Um, Ojo gets caught between the play and the ball. Aberdeen have two players advanced. And all Tavernier... Tavernier has to do is just knock a simple pass to Hadji he turns it's all the time in the world to pick up Morelos who's now in the box so basically Rangers have just made it's not even clever movement it's not even clever play they've made two simple forward passes and they've just cut Aberdeen open it was pathetic like in, 
that that's the frustration because you know you're seeing two teams set up similar. We can't sit here and really say you know well you know Rangers are a quality team, they're quality players made a difference. It wasn't like that's not my takeaway from the game at all. Is that Aberdeen didn't seem to have any real plan. You know, I've criticised Bruce Anderson for lacking that energy. You could quite easily apply that to a lot of the team. Uh, really, taking, a, taking aside any tactical discussion, it looked like one team who was just happy to be back out there playing football again after everything that's happened over the four, last four or five months, and one team that knew they had to win, that knew they had to get the three points or there'd be huge question marks over the season already. It looked like one team was content simply to be there, and that probably the biggest indictment I can make against uh, make against the team. Later on in the game, I and mean, we did see some changes, just later on in the game, Hedges came on, McGinn came on, uh, obviously Ryan Edmondson came on as well, and we did look a little bit brighter, but without really creating anything else again as well. Other than that, it really was very hard to tell what the game plan was for the game. You're totally right there, I think. Yeah, I've actually seen a, a good start today. Um, that's apparently the fourth, well, I think it's a good start, but that's apparently the fourth game in a row at Petorji that Rangers have scored between the 18th and the 30th minutes. So they always seem to score at that point. Now, in the other three games, Aberdeen have always come back into it. Now, you know, perhaps they're galvanised by the crowd or whatever, but on Saturday, it never really looked like... And with Hawaii, it never really looked like we were ever going to get an equaliser. And, you know, McInnes reckons the second half, I think his quote was, it was more than decent, which I don't agree with. But I think it was more because the only reason we were actually, in a way, not even getting back into the game, just kind of looked... More on Rangers levels Because Rangers just like They actually mirrored Aberdeen's tactics They probably thought In the past We've gone there We've taken the lead We've been caught out Trying to win by more goals Let's just sit and manage the game And actually Rangers did To Aberdeen What Aberdeen actually try and do You know Just manage the game And that's That's the only reason I think the second half was actually a bit more equal, but I don't think I still uh, agree we actually played particularly well. You know, we didn't really create. We had a goal mouth scramble. And that's about it. I can't really think of anything else we've done in the second half. He's kidding himself if he thinks that uh, either half of football on Saturday was was acceptable. You know, you can make excuses about about the build up. You can make excuses about the the long time without playing football, but that applied to both sides. We did wonder last week if we might be a bit undercooked compared to the sort of build up. That the visitors had, and you know that's slightly out of our hands. French teams weren't inviting us over for a couple of high-profile friendlies. We had to make do with games against the other Premier League teams. Could we have put more in? Would that have made any difference? I don't know. I don't know. One of the aspects of many was that they looked much more ready for the first game of a competitive season than we did. The, the, you mentioned the manager's post-match comments there. I mean, there was a lot of there was a lot of criticism of the comments um, that he made. You know, saying like you know, more than decent, which was um, which was unbelievable. Um, the other one that seemed to rile a lot of people, Andrew, was um, saying that we could have worked the keeper more, but we didn't seem to work the keeper with their keeper at all. Um, he had a other than the goal mouse scramble you mentioned. He had a fairly fairly easy day. There's always criticism of of the manager when you lose a game to them, particularly at home as well. But he isn't really doing himself any favors with that type of comments post match, is he? No, and um, like I, I expected so much more, Fabian. I, I just thought that he done done his squad building in January. Well, others have had to do it in summer. He's, he's had so long to work with these players. He's the only new guy in the door really was. Was Johnny Hayes, which he knows all about him anyway. So I just I, I thought Aberdeen actually I, naively. I thought we'd have a go. I really thought we'd have a go and actually uh, have belief we'd go and win the game. And it just again it was exact same tactics. 
you know, talking about... I mean, the pressure is on Derek McKinnon. There's absolutely no doubt about that. But, and, and I'm, this is simply me guessing. I've got no inside knowledge on this at all. But I think this will be Derek McInnes' last season. I think either one or two things will happen. I mean, technically, they have five chances to win a trophy. Realistically, they have three chances. They've obviously got three cups. He either wins one of those cups, finally becomes, you know, a manager that's won more than one trophy at Aberdeen, which not a lot have done. And he... He leaves with that, leaves his head held high, and you know, tries England again or what? Or he's going to fail again, in which case he's going to have to be moved at the end of the season because the Army fans are simply not going to accept another failure, which is what the last two seasons have been. You know, like I predicted third before the start of the season, and I still think on paper Aberdeen was the third best squad, and it basically comes down now to whether, for me, the squad is there. The squad is there to go and have a successful season. And the question basically is, is McInnes capable of getting the best out of that squad? At the moment, you know, you've got big doubts about that. I mean, Richard, I mean, what's your stance on that one? I mean, you know, there, there is there is a lot of talent there. I mean, we we mentioned we mentioned briefly the other day that you know we we posted a graphic on social media um, with the with the squad, and the squad looks so deep. Uh, you know, the depth, the strength, and there's some strength and depth there. Um, so it is, it's about the manager having to, trying to find out find the best out of the players, and most of them are you know, guys he's brought into the club as well. We've got a tendency as supporters to over-praise the players at times and over-believe over in their capabilities at times. Other people who are not Aberdeen fans can look at that. We're looking at that squad, and I saw it. It was saying that, you know, that's not a very impressive squad. There's not many impressive characters in there. You know, it comes down to, was it McInnes' fault that it was a terrible performance on, on Saturday. Or was it the fault that the execution of the players wasn't good enough? You know, it's like the old line, that McInnes favours the long ball. It, it, it's not actually true. Because if it was, Joe Lewis would be going long from every goal kick, long every time he had the ball in his hands. The long balls we've seen prevailing over the past couple of seasons have been a re- as a result, mainly, of us not ha- having control of the midfield like we used to have. It's been a result of defenders running out of options, running out of options because their simple out ball to the full-backs has been cut off. Struggling because the midfielders aren't offering the right angles to receive the ball because their movement isn't good enough. Struggling because McKenna and Taylor are not ball-playing centre-halves because Andy Considine, for all his merits, is not that comfortable on the ball. You know, don't get me wrong, you've still not resolved these issues caused by either bad recruitment or bad coaching, is a failing of the manager because the buck absolutely stops there. But you can't go absolving the players for their part in this. It was poor execution on Saturday as much as anything else. We'll never really know how Aberdeen's game plan was meant to properly pan out because it was executed so poorly when we had the ball. I think that's a, I think that's a really fair point. I mean, no, there's, there's very little the manager can do you know, 25 minutes into the game when... No, the midfield are just are, are finding opposition players with the ball. So I think you no, know, I think you're you're. It's very fair for you to say that, Richard. But the buck absolutely stops there. Don't give me. I'm not absolving him. The buck absolutely stops there. The manager, if the players aren't performing, and some of these players have been flattering to deceive for a long time, then it's up to him to change it. It's up to him to change the way in which we're playing to something which we can uh, effectively utilize. You know, what we saw, and this goes back a long time, so 2017-18, we finished second. If you remember that season, so many games we were dug out of holes and won games because of moments of individual brilliance. Then last season, the last two seasons really, 
It's been more just about grinding wins out, largely because of Sam Cosgrove's goal, because also there's been enough knowledge in the team to be able to manage these games out, manage these situations out. It's been coming, it's been coming, and it's been diminishing returns for a while. A new voice, whether it be in the manager's seat or whether it even be in the coaching team, would be very useful to that team right now. I'm not sure that I'm seeing messages getting through to some of these players, and that's obviously the ultimate job of the manager. And sometimes when you've been hearing the same voice for so long, it just doesn't resonate anymore. And I, I kind of wonder if that's what's happening here. You know, we still have, I think, the building blocks of a half-decent team here. We still have a manager who will probably be able to sleepwalk his way to third or fourth in the league, let's be honest about it. But to do that, if we're going to stumble there with, say, 50 points over the course of the season, isn't good enough. I've never been one to fixate on league positions. I thought a couple of years ago we finished fourth behind Kilmarnock, but we ended up 68 points, I think. 68 points for an Aberdeen team in this league setup is okay. It's acceptable. It's a perfectly acceptable haul, I would say. It's um, it's as good as anything Calder would ever manage, even in his most successful season. I think it's was it 65 we got that season? Yeah. Last season, obviously it wasn't finished, but you were looking at something probably in the mid-50s. A huge, a huge drop-off. And obviously, we're just one game into it. A game against a team who've got ambitions to be on the mid-90 kind of points this season. However, it was deeply disappointing. So we don't, we don't yet, we are jumping the gun a little bit here. But the problem is, it's the same manager and it's largely the same team. So we fear, and I think we've reason to fear, a continuation of the last couple of seasons. Well, we'll say it's kind of defensive McInnes in the past couple of seasons is that, you know, at times when players haven't performed, he's not actually had much options to go and change it. You know, if Shea Logan's goes in and run a bad form, we've not really had an alternative at right back. You know, if, he, if, Constantine, if he's playing constant left back and Constantine was struggling, he didn't actually have a left back to come in and, and you know, replace him. I think if you look at on Saturday, and there was a lot of um, there was a lot of players uh, below par, but like the, the worst one was Fonzo Ojo by a distance. Now it's not a case of he has to keep playing Ojo because we've got no one else. We've actually got loads of options. Um, for me, Fonzo Ojo, Fonzo Ojo, Fonzo Ojo, he's just not good enough for Aberdeen. Um, I actually remember the game. Fun enough, last time I was on the podcast, uh, the nil nil draw at Ibrox, where we'd played well. We were the better team for 45 minutes. In the second half, there was a, a period when Rangers were kind of putting it on and Aberdeen just kind of let them do what they like. And I remember Ojo that day, and I was going to slate him on the podcast, and I didn't. And I wish I had now, because he looked like a little boy lost. And I was kind of watching him thinking, I don't know what he does, because he he doesn't have any physical attributes. He doesn't seem to win any headers. His positioning was woeful. He couldn't tackle. He couldn't pass. And he just... Like if he's a replacement, Graham Shinning, God help us. You know, like Dean Campbell, at least you know he takes he takes a bit of responsibility, tries to make forward passes, actually sees the game in a different way. Now he's young and he's still making mistakes, but you know his, his game intelligence is proven all the time. And for me, you know, starting with Saturday against St. Johnson, he should be a pick ahead of Ojo. No, McGeeck, he's a talent as well. I put him ahead of Ojo, but I'd actually put him behind Campbell too because. Um, I'm not just saying this because you know Campbell's a local lad and he's a Dons fan and we all want him to do well I generally think him and Ferguson should be the partnership there but you know like McInnes he's got these options now he's got like I said before for me he's got the squad 
and he can't keep using these excuses now that well we don't we can't replace him. You know, Logan goes in a bad run of form. He's got Hernandez now. He's got you know Johnny Hayes flipping at left back now. He can change the midfield. He's got options up front. So you know he's had I think maybe even last season the season before when there's a lot of injuries. Um, you could you could feel a degree of sympathy for McInnes, but I think at the moment he's got to. He's, the squad's there, and there's actually excuses have run out. Well, of course, Saturday was the, the first game we had behind closed doors. Certainly a strange atmosphere watching it on the television, even with the the fake crowd noise, uh, Andrew. Um, what was your what was your take on it all? Yeah, there was definitely like a sp- spark in the sense that, you know, 1-0 down, we still be in the game, and maybe the, the crowd galvanised the team. But, I mean, we just thought it just as conservative as we all do for the these games so they didn't seem to make much of a difference and I think I think players maybe drop their concentration levels though when there's no crowd you know I think your mind maybe wanders more maybe the pace naturally drops too um, watching it I mean I'm, I kind of forgot about the crowd actually because I think I was watching it in the friend's house and there was just so much talking about for, for me we just kind of forget about it I think you would need to be there to see what it's like Um I don't know. I watch a lot of women's football, and that's in empty stadiums. So I'm, I'm, I guess I'm kind of used to it. But I don't think it really affected Aberdeen's performance too much because, I, like I say, what we saw from Aberdeen is what we've been seeing against the old firm for the past couple of seasons. Would Would you say then that uh, with the lack of the crowd, then um, and like Andrew mentions there, but no, the game kind of kind of slowing down. Um, is it easier for say a visiting team to come here? They come, they go they go at one nil and then is it is it easier for them to just slow the game down because they don't have you know we didn't have the home crowd the kind of pushing or urging the team to get back into the game quicker. You get terrible games with a crowd. I'm sure there's been yeah. decent games without a crowd, but if um, if that was football going forward, if that was it, I wouldn't be watching football for much longer. It's just no, it's nothing. I, I completely get that argument if you if you've been in. Big stadiums watching, you know, watching women's football, for example. Some of the clubs obviously play in, play in stadiums which, uh, which are far bigger than, than the crowds uh, which they're getting. And, um, you know, and say you maybe you watch a lot of amateur football, junior football. But I don't. I mean, I, in terms of going to watch in the flesh, I go to watch Aberdeen. And if this were a permanent thing, I'd, I would be, the love of football would be gone for me within months. Being there, being part of it is such a huge... It's just it for me, I suppose. It's, again, it's different. It's going to be a different experience for loads of other people that listen to this podcast that live abroad and all they've relied on for the past 10 years or whatever has been the Red TV coverage. And maybe for them, it makes no difference. It's just, you know, lack of um, faces in the crowd or whatever. But for, for someone that goes... That is at Pataudry every couple of weeks, it, it, it just it felt alien, completely alien. Again, I, I know Andrew's based in Glasgow. I, I'm up here, you're up here. You know, I'm three miles from the ground, but it felt like a, it could have been played on the moon. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I agree with you, know, Richard. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm even closer to the stadium than you, and it was, um, it was pretty, it was pretty hard to take, knowing find that the game was just there um, and not being able to go. Um, understand, you know, understand why, uh, but it certainly doesn't make it any easier and. Um, much like uh, Andrew watching it, you know, we were obviously we were watching it with a couple of a few other people. You know, there was you know a chatting going on and stuff. So you weren't you didn't really notice it. But some of the some of these away games that are coming up, you know, um, against you no know, in, you know, in even will be even quieter stadiums. 
um, it's certainly going to it's certainly going to be more noticeable. I think it will be no more of an annoyance as it goes on as well. Um, we can only kind of hope that we can get back to some sort of you know hopefully some sort of crowds in a safe environment soon because um, I'm I'm fully with you on that, Richard. Uh, you know if if this if this becomes the new normal for a really extended period of time, it's going to be very hard to to enjoy football um, going forward. I mean, I, I, there's been some people saying that um, you know people will get out of the habit. I, I don't think that'll be be the case. I think you know my feeling watching that on Saturday was not you know I can't wait till things are back normal. I can't wait till you know I can be part of a loud noisy crowd again. And before any smart Alex say yeah, but you go to Petrodri. Um <laughs> But um, you know I I can't wait for that moment again. Football being back, I thought I was excited on Friday night, and obviously the quality of our performance hasn't helped my enthusiasm, but it's about way more than that. It's about, you know, I was kidding myself to think it, it was going to be any substitute for the real thing, for me. Yeah, I actually, um, I actually watched the game in Aberdeen on, uh, on Saturday. I didn't drive up specifically for the game, I was driving up anyway, but... Uh, I watched it in the fence of Aberdeen, but like as I was driving up the road that morning, and I thought, you know, usually if I, especially if I game against Rangers, but even just any game at Petrodia because you know I don't get to go every week, you know, I'd be buzzing for it. Like, and I just thought actually I wasn't really even, you know, a game start the season against Rangers. I was looking forward to it, but just there wasn't that same buzz because I knew I wasn't going to be there. So yeah, hopefully they're talking about crowds. We'll test crowds maybe in September. And then hopefully by the time the semi-final comes on, maybe we get uh, proper crowds back. Like, I just I can't, I can't imagine that happening the whole season. And actually, it would just be no. Is it strange? It's just not not as enjoyable. So we also saw on Saturday we had two additions to the squad. Uh, one of them, of course, came on and came on later on in the game after about an hour. Um, the other one we didn't see. So uh, Andrew, um, obviously Ryan Edmondson joined on loan from Leeds, and obviously we signed Tommy Hoban. Uh, on both of them here until January. Um, what are your what was your what was your take on Ryan Edmondson on the, on the short spell you saw of him? Yeah, I, I can't really make much of a much of a judgment on him. I know that uh, I know he's highly rated by Leeds fans. Um, I don't know how many first teams actually played down there. I don't think it's many, but um, be interesting to see how McInnes used him. Like, is he just come as a backup, or is he some, somebody who wants to actually play a lot like him? I think he'll start against St Johnston because that's really kind of Pete McInnes, you know. He'll give Anderson an hour against Rangers and then dump him on the bench and he tends to have like more faith. I can see him having more faith in a nineteen year old Loney than a twenty one year old on the books. But I like seeing partners at Anderson. I think that's probably what And you know, we were talking about Anderson earlier on. That's probably what Anderson needs, that's a play off somebody like looking back to last season though, we didn't exactly get much out of um Gallagher. But when Gallagher was useful, it was him playing off Cosgrove. Um, and actually, I, I wonder if Edmondson and Anderson could could sort of uh, produce a decent partnership. The only thing about that is then you kind of want work out who's who's dropping out. You know, we always like to play with kind of two wide players and stuff. But um, but yeah, it's, it's, I, I just don't know. I don't know if guys a goal scorer or not. Um, or he's kind of in the same mould as, as Curtis Main, kind of playing his back to goal or what. I couldn't really judge him at all on what I've seen Saturday. I think the interesting thing about Edmondson was it was probably more McInnes' comments afterwards that um, he's someone who looked at in the event of Cosgrove moving on to moving to France. Uh, he is out of contract at the end of this season. Um, 
So some word at Leeds we're going to offer him a new contract as well as putting him on loan. But I wonder if this might be someone that we might end up seeing permanently at Petaudry if this spell works out uh, to everyone's satisfaction. Andrew mentioned St Johnston there, so um, obviously that's the upcoming game. Let's have a let's have a quick look at that one, uh, Richard. Um, obviously, it's well, it's a new era at St Johnston, so you know we should be positive about talking about these games because surely, surely, Richard, no, we've for the past five years of doing this podcast, we have dreaded talking about you no know, upcoming St Johnston games, but it's going to be different now. Um, they're going to be a different, they're a different prospect. They have a different manager. Um, it's obviously hard to glean anything from the, their first game at the, um, of the league season at the weekend. They were against promotion bounce Dundee United. Um, and also one of their players did their best to get himself red carded. Um, so this is going to be, it's, a, it's, a, it's like a brand new day at St. Johnson. This is going to be uh, a great game, isn't it? Well, I appreciate your efforts to talk this one up, clearly. But uh, Callum Davidson obviously worked <laughs> under Tommy Wright. Knows St. Johnson inside out. And I think he'd be foolish to try and change too much from the blueprint that obviously existed there. Um, so on Saturday, I think they can be very encouraged. They went to a team who's obviously getting presented with a championship flag on a high. They lost a goal to a penalty kick very early on, then lost a man. But I, I, you know, I've only I've only seen the goals, but they, obviously they've done very well to come back um, and get a point with ten men, and apparently were put quite probably deserved to win that game as well. So, so I don't. I don't think we'll see too much change from, from Tommy Wright's blueprint, to be perfectly honest. A smattering of new faces in the St Johnston lineup, but I, you know, I still think first and foremost they'll be set up as most of the teams in this league will be to uh, be hard to beat. And um, that's a thing that's put St Johnston in good stead over the past few years. And um, that's presumably going to be uh, Calum Davidson's first thoughts. St Johnson one of these teams that like the past two seasons I've actually got a lot of stick off St Johnson fans on Twitter because I've tipped them I would be relegated or to at least be fighting relegation and like last season I think they were top six and uh, they just I just I'm amazed at how they managed to do it because on paper they just look absolute gas but um, the boy they've signed they've signed the boy Danny McNamara who's a full back on loan from Millwall he looks a decent player looked decent on a, a Saturday against Dundee United um, David Wotherspoon was also instrumental for them in the second half on Saturday. Um, thankfully, obviously, Alan's out because he's suspended. But um, Stevie May, this is actually the type of game that will suit him because he's the type of player that, that Ash Taylor will struggle against. You know, he'll get caught up with his movement and there's you know there's gap, gaps there then for the boy Callum Hendry to exploit. And um, it's, it's a feature that just always worries me. Um, but and obviously, like there's a force change because well, Constantine's suspended. So it's going to be interesting to see what he does there. You know, does he play Hayes at left back? Which, since he wants Hernandez bombing up the wing, it'd be good to maybe have it in both sides. Um, especially if you're playing a side like C. Johnson, they're going to be expecting, even at home, they're going to be a bit stuffy. You know, it'd be good to have an extra man out wide. Does he play Hoban, who I believe can play left back? I don't know how good he is in that position. I can't think of any occasion he's played there in the past for us. Um, but, you know, I, I like Hoban. I would, I would play Hoban head of Taylor, but. Um, I can see it now. We'll play Hoban at left back. He'll be short, short on that sharpness. St Johnson will target at the end of the pitch, and then you know he'll be hung up to dry. Uh, the other alternative, which I wouldn't actually be surprised at, is McInnes plays three at the back. You know we might go Hoban, Taylor, McKenna, and then as Hayes and McInnes as, as wing backs. So um, 
I mean, again, it's kind of he's got options there. Uh, it's just whether he goes there with an attacking intent or kind of goes there looking to stop St. Johnston playing. I think it will be three five two, and I think part of the reason for that will be because he he will have seen that you know we really really struggled to keep the ball up top on Saturday, and I think he will you know want to persist with the striking options that he's got. I think Tommy Hoban can come into that back three, and, and that can be a very effective uh, three there with um, Hoban sweeping almost, and um, McKenna and Taylor being the the aggressive ball winners. And I think St Johnston it'll be Hendry primarily, but May pretty much plays as a as a second striker just off the off of um, Hendry. You know, whereas on Saturday you were basically up against one one striker, a lone striker. I think this is closer to a two that St Johnston are likely to play. So I think there's every chance it will be three five two, especially with Considine out. There's Hayes and possibly Hernandez on the other side as as uh, wing backs. But um, obviously that means that you're you know potentially sacrificing a guy like Matty Kennedy who'd be going back to face his former side and you know options definitely got options this season. Um, it's it's up to the manager to make best use of them. But I certainly wouldn't be surprised at all to see three five two employed on employed on Saturday. Equally, I wouldn't be surprised to see absolutely no changes from uh, Saturday's lineup and just to, just the same again. Call me dramatic. Tell me I'm overreacting here. Um, is it too early to suggest to call Saturday a must-win game, or for a team like Aberdeen, whose target is at the very least third place, um, is every game against sides like St Johnston a must-win? It's certainly a game we should be winning, and it's certainly a game we should be looking to win, and it's a game we shouldn't be coming out of there happy with a point in the old Alex Smith lexicon. Those opening four games, the two coming up now, St. Johnson and Hamilton, they looked already games we needed to be winning, because otherwise we could be struggling at the wrong end of the table very quickly with the other two games that we've got. Obviously we've got to park Ed in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, is it a must win for him? I, I think it's a very important game for him to win. I don't think it'll necessarily lessen. I don't think wins over St Johnston or indeed any of the other nine teams in the league will lessen um, the feeling that certain Aberdeen fans have towards the manager because we've spoken about this before. Once you have decided that it's time for regime change, it is very, very unlikely that you will fall back into the uh, the other camp. It's clearly the same must win when it's only second game of the season, but I think it must be a performance. Even even if they win the game 1-0, but it's another dire performance, I can still see the criticism coming. Um, we need some sort of evidence that actually this is going to be a good season. I, th- I think performance, absolutely. We can't have another... It might, you know, it might be an absolute shit fest anyway, simply because it's St Johnston. Aberdeen have got to produce something. They've got to produce something on Saturday. And also as well, you look at the fixtures. Actually, if you are saying, if you are saying a must win, I'm just I'm actually going to disagree with myself. That uh, you know, two of the next four games after this are away to Celtic and Hibs. So you know, you could actually have a situation where Aberdeen have something like six points out of the first six games. So uh, I maybe it's a must win. Are we doing that taking Hibs seriously thing again? I thought that was so old hat. <laughs> Yeah, no. Well, on Saturday, of course, Martin Boyle kind of threw in one of his one of those performances. So you know, we've, we take him seriously for twenty minutes. Did you uh, see his first goal? Jesus Christ! We thought our defending was bad. Uh, yeah, it, it, they'll be they'll be back to normal soon enough, and it'll, we'll be we'll be laughing at them as you, as we normally do. 
But anyway, with that, that brings us into the podcast for this week. Um, that's been a lot of fun. I've enjoyed that one, um, ripping off the bandage and getting into that, getting into that performance from Saturday. Richard, thank you as always. Thanks very much, Martin. And also thank you to our guest, Andrew Southwick. Andrew, it's been a pleasure having you on again. I promise, I promise that we will try and get you on after a thumping victory for next time. Nah, no, just, just, just stick to the defeats for me. That's my, that's my forty. Ask and you shall receive then. But until then, as I say, it's St. Johnson on Saturday. Uh, we'll be back next week with another podcast. Until then, come on you Reds. <laughs>